Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. Uh, tonight we're in Babylon, but heaven is just three chapters away, so let's, let's hold on, okay? The last time we were here in the book of Revelation, besides our end-of-the-year Bible reading, was on December 3rd when we were in chapter 17. So uh, chapter 18 tonight, let me remind you, if you don't have one already, to pick up one of the, the papers in the lobby that is the overview of the book of Revelation, just the, the, the points of chapters that we put together. It outlines the book with uh, each chapter content and their headings. In chapters 15 and 16, it described the outpouring of the seven bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth, and that happened during the second half of the tribulation. The next event in prophecy, as we're looking at a timeline through these, the events of, of Revelation, is found in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, when Jesus will return and end the final battle of Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon is a campaign, you remember, and so that will be the final battle. And that's the next event, Revelation 19:11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So what we have, again, in, as we have often in, in the book, a parenthetical passage in, in chapter 17 and 18 are, are just that. They tell us about the destruction of Babylon. Babylon is referred to 300 times in the Bible. It began when, when Nimrod established the city of Babel in Genesis 11. You read that if you're going through the Bible in just in a few chapters, uh, a few chapters ago, Genesis 11. Uh, the word Babel in Hebrew means gate of God. Uh, the other Hebrew word, Baalel, is uh, confusion. And God confused the languages of those who were building a name for themselves, and that was the city of Babel, which later was Babylon. Later, uh, it was uh, the ancient city on the lower Euphrates River uh, in southern Mesopotamia. It's now at the, in the area of Iraq, and Babylon was the capital of Babylonia. The ruins are still there. Because of their idolatry, the children of Israel were carried away into Babylon and didn't return to Israel for 70 years. Uh, Belshazzar the king, we know about him uh, in the book of Daniel, but uh, he called Daniel to, to explain to him what had been written on the wall. Remember, there was a, there was a banquet, there was feasting, there was celebration that, that night. And in that same night... Belshazzar the king was slain, and his kingdom was divided. And Daniel explained that many, many Tekel Eupharsin is our weighed in the balance and found wanting. And that happened in 539 B.C. So that was Babylon, the Persian Empire. If you remember the image of Daniel, the head of gold was the Persian Empire. And the Medes came in, and that began the second uh, kingdom in that statue, uh, of the, the torso of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, and that replaced, uh, was replaced later by Brass, the Grecian Empire, and then came the Roman Empire, the Empire of Iron. Well, the concept of Babylon being anti-Christian and anti-God all the way through its history will culminate uh, in the end times under Antichrist. Remember Revelation chapter 17 tells us how God will destroy the one world religion of Babylon 
And now in chapter 18, it tells us how God will destroy the one world government known as Babylon, so the political system rather than the religious. They're tied together, but Walvoord says Babylon is occasionally viewed as a satanic religious program opposing the true worship of God. But primarily, it is viewed as a political power with a great city bearing the name Babylon as its capital. The End Times brings together these two major lines of truth about Babylon and indicate God's final judgment on it. Well, we saw in Revelation 17 how God will destroy religious Babylon. The world church will probably come to an end at the middle of the tribulation. That's when the Antichrist will uh, initiate a new kind of a religion, a worship of himself. And uh, we read that in Daniel 9.27, Matthew 24.15. Chapter 18 deals with political Babylon, the powerful one-world government that will be destroyed. So the title of the message tonight, The End of a One-World Government. Pastor Brian was saying I was having a hard time finding songs that would match that theme, but he did a great job. Okay. First, the announcement of the fall of Babylon in verses 1 through 3. And after I saw these things, uh, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having, heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, where delicacies is strainos, and it, it, it means strength, or in extension to that, luxury. And so we'll see that word again as we go through the passage tonight. The fall is announced by an angel. This isn't the same angel that was announcing the destruction of the world religion in, in chapter 17. Chapter 17 began when one of the seven angels who had been involved in pouring out God's wrath from the, the vials upon the earth invited John to see the woman who represented religious Babylon. Now in chapter 18, John is seeing another angel. This angel comes from heaven. It has great power. Its glory, his glory, lights the earth. Sweet, in his commentary, says, So recently he has come from the presence, and he capitalizes presence there, he's talking about God's presence, that in passing he flings a broad belt of light across the dark earth. Well, this angel cried mightily and with a strong voice. It tells us how he cried um, and with what kind of voice he cried. Uh, everyone will hear the voice because it's loud. Now remember, this is all written in the past tense, but it's a prophetic past. It's as certain uh, to happen as if it had already happened, and we've seen that all the way through the book of Revelation. The message from the angel is that Babylon the Great is fallen or has fallen. This is a fulfillment of the judgment already predicted we read it in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
Now, some think this is the same destruction as what we just read about in chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. But in the destruction of chapter 18, we'll find the kings and the merchants mourning and lamenting over this destruction of the kingdom of Babylon. We don't find that in chapter 17. Walford says, the woman in chapter 17 was associated with the political power, but not the political power itself. And her destruction apparently brought no mourning from the earth. So that's the difference between these two destructions. They're close, one's religious, one's political. What are the results of this fall? Those who dwell in Babylon now, after she's destroyed, uh, it will be the habitation of devils. And so this is where demons will gather. It will be the hold of every foul spirit. Remember in, from the Gospels, demons are referred to as unclean spirits. It will be the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. These demons are pictured like vultures waiting to scavenge for any meat left in the once rich city of Babylon. And they're confined as if in a cage. They're unclean. They're full of hatred. Oh, who are the ones that are, that are enamored with Babylon? Who are the ones that are looking and saying, what a terrible loss? Verse 3, all nations... It says, they've drunk the wine of her, the wrath of her fornication. Those who have now recognized the wrath of God on their immoral alliances with this wicked city, Babylon. The kings of the earth. So we have the nations, the kings of the earth. They have committed fornication with her. Those political goals of ruling with authority and power have made them compromise and uh, have this alliance, unholy alliance with Babylon. Third, the merchants of the earth. They become rich with her abundant delicacies. Again, those luxuries. The merchants profited from all the sales that went on in the commerce of Babylon. So they, they loved her. They're missing her now. Another voice calls God's people to come out of Babylon. Verse 4. The voice told them what not to do. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. And sins always bring God's punishment. Here, spoken of as plagues. Don't ever think that you can sin and get away with it. The only remedy for our sin is Calvary, and we must come to him. So he's saying don't partake of her sins. Don't receive the punishment of those sins in the form of plagues. The voice also told them why they should not join in her wickedness. Verse 5, before or because her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. What a statement. Sin is seen by God. And here her sins have reached unto heaven. Custer explains by saying the image of sins being piled up until they reached heaven. <laughs> That's how much sin has been committed in our world. God has remembered her iniquities. Well, he's omniscient. He knows all, and he can make the correct judgment based on that knowledge, that complete knowledge. He's just. His punishment is always perfect. It is always right. It is always fair. When I saw that 
this, this thought of God remembering all of her iniquities. I, I thought again about what does God forget? He's omniscient, right? But there is a passage that t- says that God forgets. There are actually two. They're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8.12, Hebrews 10.17. Hebrews 8.12 is the millennial reference to God's faithfulness of his covenant to Israel. And he says, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> what a wonderful thing when our sins are under the blood of the cross of Calvary. Verse 6 tells the reward. He says uh, God will reward her fairly in verses 6 through 8. In verse 6 it says that it will be a double reward. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, uh, fill to her double. Now he's not asking John or the saints to reward Babylon according to her sin. God will judge her. You see that at the end of verse 8. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So leave the judgment up to God. The judgment is double according to her works. Now uh, a lot of different ideas on what that might mean but in the original language it says literally double the double things. So I think what it's talking about is where Babylon sinned double the punishment also will be double. That is, the punishment will be commensurate with the sin. God is always fair. He's always just. And so, if it's double sin, it will be double punishment. Her punishment will be equal to her boasting, verse 7. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. Now, that word is that same word we saw at the end of verse 3. That was... um, uh, the the uh, the noun form strainos and here it's strainiao which is the verb form, so it is uh, uh, the delicacies and the delicious. It's talking about luxury here. She has lived luck in luxury. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Walward says, Babylon will receive torture and grief commensurate with her glory and luxury in which she boasted that she was a queen. Now, three sins are mentioned here. Says she glorified herself. That's Babylon's pride. That's the one world government that is anti-God. She gloried in herself. Second, she lived deliciously. Here's self-gratification. Uh, heaping on herself all of the luxuries that money can buy. She boasted that she was queen, the third sin. She boasts the same way that ancient Babylon boasted. I mentioned that Belshazzar, in his, in his rule, uh, called Daniel after this party, and his knees, it says, smote together. He was afraid when he saw this finger come down and write on the wall. In Isaiah chapter 47, there's a passage that talks about this destruction of ancient Babylon. And there's similarity to what's going to happen with future Babylon and that punishment. 
Isaiah 47.1 says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. And we get down to verse 47. Again, this is the fall of the Persian Empire. Belshazzar the king is slain, 539 B.C. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever. So, thou didst, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore, hear now this. Thou art given to pleasure. Thou dwellest carelessly that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. There's the pride. I shall not sit as a widow. Exactly the same thing that's being said in, in future Babylon. Neither shall I know the loss of children. That's the sorrow that's spoken of in future Babylon. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of thy children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for their great abundance, the great abundance of thine enchantments. Now future Babylon, the judgment will also come suddenly. We see that in verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judgeth her. So her plagues, the word plague there is a stroke, a wound, a calamity. This plague shall come in one day. All of these punishments come immediately. Death mourning, famine, and then consequential fire. MacArthur writes, these three plagues will result in Babylon's complete devastation, pestilence and mourning and famine. Heaven's fitting answer to her proud boast in verse 7. After those three plagues have run their course, Babylon will be burned up with fire. That's the angelic announcement. This is what is in store for political Babylon, anti-God government in the end times. Notice the lamentation of the fall of Babylon. First of all, we have the response of kings to the loss of this great city. And the kings of the earth, verses uh, 9 and 10, and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her, and they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Who will mourn for Babylon? Here, first of all, the kings of the earth. Those who have committed fornication. Babylon was pictured as a harlot back in chapter 17 and verse 1. Those who loved her. Now mourn her destruction. Their idol has been taken away. Those who have lived deliciously, again, here's that word, it's that same word, luxuriously with her. The worldliness of Babylon has made them very, very comfortable. How will they respond? They will bewail her. I'm going to give you some vocabulary words as we go along, seeing how these people will mourn for Babylon. They bewail. The word is clio. It means to cry out, to weep. Uh, to wail aloud. It's a, it's a word that describes those who suffer great loss. Perhaps you've gone through a hospital and heard 
the hopeless cries of people who've lost a loved one and know that they're eternally lost. That's the kind of cry, the wailing that will, will be seen or will be heard. They also will lament for her. That is an w- interesting word, kapto. It means to chop. And here it means they will be beating on their chests. They'll lament that Babylon is gone. What's, what caused this response? The sense of loss. When they see the smoke of her burning, all of the things that they lived for, all of the things that they, they hoped they would invest their lives in and their time in, go up in smoke. And they stand a distance, notice, out of fear of her torment and mourn for the loss of the great city. It's almost as if they're saying, I, I don't want to be near because I'm afraid of God's judgment. I see what he's doing to, to Babylon, but I can't leave. I've got to gaze because that's where my heart is. Like Lot's wife, they flee the destruction. They can't tear their eyes away from looking back at what they've lost. Kings were interested in Babylon because of the greatness of her strength. There are three double woes pronounced in this chapter. The Hebrew word is It's a cry of grief. It's translated, alas, alas, in the King James Version. Each time the cry of grief is over destruction of the great city of Babylon. We'll see it first here in verse 10. Alas, alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Merchants mourned the city because of the loss of the material wealth that that they lost. We see that in verse 16. And here's the second double woe. Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. Verse 19, the third. Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. And so we have the, in each of those woes, there's a, there's a, a, a recognition of this city, or calling this city a great city. It was great because of the, the wealth, because of the populace, because of all the commerce. And then also in each of these three woes, there is the judgment that comes. In one hour is the judgment come. I find it amazing and in the last days when God is pouring out destruction, his, his wrath upon sin, instead of repenting from that sin that brings that wrath, they mourn over the loss of their sin. Church in Thyatira, if you do a study in Revelation, or look back at what we've seen, Revelation chapter 2, verse 21, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. How could the church of Thyatira not repent? In Revelation 9, at the sixth trumpet, 200 million, uh, an army of 200 million were loosed to kill a third of the population. And in Revelation 9.20, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass. In chapter 16, The fourth angel poured out the bowl of wrath on the earth, Revelation 16, verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat, 
and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. A few verses later, the fifth angel poured out his bowl, Revelation 16, 11, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And I think I've said this before. What will cause people to turn against God and the grace that he has offered in his own son, the sacrifice of his own son, and will stand there and not repent? We need to pray for people. It's the Holy Spirit of God that can do the work in their hearts to break down the barriers. It's not impossible. God does great things. It's miraculous to see how a person can be born again. John MacArthur wrote of this unrepentant attitude, Nothing so clearly reveals the hardness of sinners' hearts as their lack of sorrow over their sin. Through the years of devastating judgments, the tribulation sinners will relentlessly refuse to mourn over their sin. But though they will not lament over their sin, they will cry over the destruction of Babylon. When the glorious centerpiece, the head of Antichrist's empire, is judged and destroyed, there will be worldwide dismay and mourning. Not only will the kings mourn the loss of this great city, also the merchants will. We see that in verses 11 through 16. Those who are involved in the commerce will mourn the loss of the city that helped them worship their idol of wealth, of luxury. The merchants are seen in verse 11. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Their grief here, the weeping is a word we've seen before. Uh, uh, Clio, again, wailing. And then there's a new word, mourn here, pentheo. It means to feel grief or to mourn. So now we've seen three descriptions of their cries with the words bewail, lament, mourn. Verse 15, the merchants shall stand weeping and wailing. Again, using two of these words we've already seen. Why? Because nobody's buying their merchandise anymore. They don't have any more income. And then not only that, not only their losses that they've suffered, but the fact that the, they have sales that will never take place. It's over. In verses 12 through 13, we see a listing of their merchandise. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, of pearls and fine linen, and purple and silk and scarlet and all the uh, all thine wood, and all the manner of vessels of ivory, and all manner of vessels of most precious wood, and of brass, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and the souls of men. What a listing. There's a cantata called Belshazzar's Feast, written by an English composer, William Walton. It was first performed in 1931, in October. And there's a section in that, uh, in that cantata where there's a baritone solo. He's singing without any instruments. And he goes through this whole list. And then the pace changes. And he stretches out the words in a minor phrase to make us consider that with all those things that were being sold, the commerce of Babylon are the souls of men. It's a startling thought to think of souls 
as items that are sold, like other commodities. And it made me think of Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What a picture in the future that shows us how vain it is to invest our lives in material things. We pick up in verse 14, And the fruits of thy soul, that thy soul lusted after, are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. Again, the merchants stand as the kings of the earth stand close enough to grieve over their personal sins, but far enough away not to experience the wrath of God on their idol. Verses 15 and 16. And the merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Notice the response of the the suppliers of that merchandise to their loss. Verses 17 through 19, we've had the kings, we've had the merchants, and now the people behind the merchants. For in one hour uh, so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. Third time. And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein we were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Those in the shipping industry are listed. Every shipmaster, that would be the captain, all the company in the ships, anyone who was on board, The sailors, that would be the crew, as many as trade by sea, everyone in the trade industry, those who are profiting by this this commercial trade. What did they do? They stood afar off. They cast dust on their heads. It's a sign of mourning. And judgment came quickly. Throughout this chapter, there's been this, this recognition of the suddenness of the destruction of Babylon. Revelation 18, 8, there shall her plagues come in one day. In 1810, in one hour is thy judgment come. In 1817, in one hour is thy judgment come. The word hour there is an instant season, amount of time. They cried, weeping and wailing. And there's one more vocabulary word that we can add to our list of three. Now the fourth one comes, and cried. And the word here is kradzo. They screamed out. It's a sound like a, a, a bird would make, a raven. They cried in verse 19 again, weeping, wailing. This is always the end result of idolatry. When something that a person loves and worships and spends all his time pursuing, when that thing is taken away, he will feel sorry for himself. He should sorrow for his idolatry, but instead he sorrows for his loss. What, a, what, what an insight into human, fallen human nature. Well, these are the ones who mourn Babylon, but there will be those who rejoice at its destruction. We see the celebration of the fall of Babylon in verses 20 through 24. 
Instead of grief, there's joy. Rejoice over her, verse 20. Thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The ones who will rejoice, heaven. It's indicative of those who reside in heaven. God, his angels, his saints, the apostles and prophets. Here, the apostles symbolize the, the New Testament economy, the prophets in the Old Testament, these messengers of God. They're the ones rejoicing. Why? Because God has avenged you on her, that is, you on Babylon. The, the, the court has ruled in your favor. God has justly sentenced the enemy. And when righteous, correct judgment is carried out, there's joy on the part of the one who deserved that justice. When an accusation is false, and a person is acquitted for something that they were accused of doing. There's great rejoicing in the courtroom, isn't there? And that's, our, that's the response of the righteous. Uh, notice the activities. Oh, uh, why, why is it that they're rejoicing? Because of what is no more in Babylon. Not only is justice meted out, the sin will never again be found in Babylon. Babylon will never rise again. With all of the 300 references we have in the scriptures, here is one that shows us Babylon will be no more. Hallelujah. That's something to rejoice over. The force of justice is something that causes joy. With violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. The activities of Babylon will end. Verses 22 and the first half of verse 23. Uh, these things are not always sinful in themselves, but they're sinful when they're used to promote the wickedness of all life that's lived in rebellion against God. Their arts, sinful music of Babylon, will not be heard anymore. Commerce, the greed of craftsmen, will end. Agriculture, the production of food, will end. Uh, signs of life, the lights that show there's someone living, will go out. Signs of families and joys of home, there will be no marriages. Let's read those, uh, that verse 22 and 23a. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. It will all be over. The wickedness of Babylon throughout what it's represented throughout all of the scripture and all of history will be finished. The world mourns the loss of their idols. The chapter ends showing how those on God's side should not sorrow over Babylon's destruction. It's not her wealth, but her sins that should have caused grief and mourning. Second half of verse 23 and into verse 24. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. 
Again, here's this selfish sorrow as the world looks at Babylon and mourns that it's gone. Doesn't understand that the punishment was deserved. This is the right thing to do. This is righteousness. The world focuses on the loss, on losses from a selfish perspective. The apparent success of Babylon is stated at the end of verse 23. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. A description of all nations being deceived, being led away. The word is planeo. Again, wandering off from the normal course that God intended. How, how did that happen? It took place by the sorceries through the agency of pharmakia, drugs, magic, witchcraft. The sins of wicked Babylon included all sorts of immorality, of selfishness, of idolatry. But underlying all sin is this attack on God for his purposes of redeeming mankind. And Babylon was charged with slaying the prophets, those who had prophesied God's word, the saints, those who had tried to tell others about Christ and live for him. And notice every life taken by murder. Babylon and the one world anti-God system bears responsibility for the martyrs of church history, for the abortions that have been performed, the undeserved death on the earth. Babylon is responsible. And so we do not say, alas, alas, for that great city is destroyed. We say rejoice, for God's justice will finally be meted out, and Jesus will rule in righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are weighty things that we're reading in the book that you left for us to read and to understand. And I pray that you will give us a greater burden for the lost. Help us to see that the only way a person is going to repent is not by our persuasiveness, but by the Holy Spirit's work in their hearts. And may we go from this place tonight with a, a greater desire, a burden to pray for those who are lost, and a recognition that if they're to be saved, it's only by your grace and by your work in their hearts. And so help us to be faithful in our witness. And help us to rejoice in the justice of God that will finally come on this earth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.